you're listening to the Games Retrieve.biz microcast. I'm James Batchelor and I am joined as always by Chris String. Chris, how are you and have you spent the weekend playing Pal World like apparently the rest of my social media feed? No, apparently, uh, I think I'm the only one that hasn't played Pal World um, this weekend. But it's, isn't it wonderful? See, I mean, I know there's a bit of controversy around some of the designs. They look a bit like Pokemon, but isn't it wonderful to see um, a breakout game like this uh, uh, still happening? in 2024 uh and i actually think in a year where we've not got we have a lot of big games but we don't have a lot of those sort of games that suck the oxygen out of the market you know there's, mm. there's no diablo no zelda no hogwarts um it doesn't look like that anyway um that you know i think we might get a few of these this year and i'd love that It'd be great yeah absolutely like you know hats off to them for, for doing so well and getting off to, is it four million sales in three days four million sales i don't know i'm assuming that doesn't include game pass it's they said sales which suggests yeah it's just sales it doesn't include game pass subscribers and they've had to get epic on the line to try and sort out their server issues <laughs> i mean i'm sure they've worked basically 24 the whole yeah weekend. but it's a but it's what a wonderful success story um it's always lovely to see it's it's good to see it's good to see i'm i'm in i still am intrigued to see if you know nintendo the pokemon company go down any kind of legal route because there's more than a few striking similarities between some of the characters, yeah. but equally, it's, it doesn't help that every time I say the media refer to it as the Pokemon with guns game. That's all. I, yeah. And Nintendo, like, genre-wise, it's not. No, it's, it's, uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Like the Power World devs have never said, "Hey, we're giving you Pokemon with guns." Like they've never said that, but that's just, just the way it's been presented. That's the way that everyone kind of associates it. Um, now it's an interesting. I, I do. I, I, I do intend to check it out myself um, uh, via Game Pass. I've, uh, I might install that tonight. Give it a give it a look. Um, this is the microcast. We're going to be talking about the biggest stories from the past week. Um, there is so much. We were messaging back and forth last night, in fact, Chris, about how much we've got to try and cram into this. So I'm going to do a little recap because I kind of acknowledge all the big things that happened. And even then, this isn't all of the big things that's happened. Like, obviously, layoffs continue. This is awful. But um, we had so many more layoffs. I don't think there was a single day last week where we didn't run a layoff story on GI. Um, one of the big conversations that happened last week uh, was your fault, Chris. It was the subscriptions discourse. So you did an interview with um, Philippe Tremblay, Ubisoft's director of subscriptions. Uh, he was talking about how subscriptions won't take off until... Gamers get used to the idea of not owning their games. That was the quote that got picked up by a lot of people. And there was a lot of kind of backlash. Well, there was a lot of backlash. And there was a lot of people who was like, well, we don't own our music. We don't own our videos. We don't own film. So yeah. why is this any different? Um, the big one that uh, people latched onto was um, Larry and CEO Sven Vicky said uh, that Baldur's Gate 3 and none of the other studios' games are going to be going on subscriptions because direct from developer to players is the way. And uh, people have been hiding, holding yeah. that up as, yeah, he's right, etc. Um, UK retailer Game has confirmed it's going to be dropping its pre-owned games business and will not be accepting trade-ins after February the 16th. Um, kind of want to come back on that at some point. And then the Xbox Di Developer Direct, the showcase was shown off a, a range of uh, titles, including a new, new, new unveiling was Visions of Mana. Uh, we got an update on Ara History Untold, this kind of civilization-like strategy game. We got a really good look at Obsidian's uh, first-person RPG, Avowed. We got more info on Hellblade 2, and more of interest, most of interest to me, Indiana Jones and the Great Circle. Maybe we'll squeeze in some uh, fanboy gushing about that a little bit later. But first, I wanted to talk about a piece that you've literally just put up on the site. 
I don't know I'm looking over there. My laptop is over there, that's why. Um, literally got up on the site just a few minutes ago um, that the industry is braced for two years of pain. Now, this up is to, not... Up to two years. Up to up two, two years, years of pain. Up to yeah, two, two years, years of pain. Okay, hoping for 18 months with good behaviour. Um, obviously, you know, it's, it's not a particularly long piece. So I do do recommend everyone read this. Um, it's it's brilliant piece. Chris, kind of talk us through the kind of the key points from this. Well, um, so yes. So I, I spoke to a load of... I, I sometimes just conversations with CEOs, head of investors, there will be some more pieces that I'm working on that will have fully, lot, everyone's anonymous in this article, but late, there are some pieces, people who are not anonymous and they'll be speaking later on, but it's about uh, all the layoffs and the um, the cuts that's happening. And it was basically trying to see, look, is this going to stop? When does this slow down? What's going on? And we sort of, we sort of talk about why these things are happening. And we talk about um, in the piece, it sort of covers Look, inflation's high and inflation being high causes two things. It causes everyone's costs to go up. It makes profitable companies unprofitable, already unprofitable companies, of which there are a lot in video games, becoming even more unprofitable. And then you've got you know, investors just going, should I take a gamble on a games company? Or should we just stick our money in the bank and earn 5%, right? It, it, is, mm. it creates this, um, you've got that sort of, um, uh, uh, that big macro issue. Um, there are other macro issues as well, including people spending less and that kind of thing. But then you've also, um, uh, you've also got the games industry challenge of the sheer number of games that were commissioned a couple of years ago that come into market. And uh, these people, the people we spoke to were just saying, look, this, the release schedule is not going to calm down for a couple of years. Um, mm. This inflation is probably not going to start going down till the end of this year. Um, you know, there was a few people who think two years is quite pessimistic. Um, but there are people who think two years is probably just think two years and you'll, you'll be all right. And it's, that's the, um, um, that's the that's the thing that we're sort of going through as a as a, as, a um, um, as an industry and that you know look the industry isn't is a good industry and it's growing and it has a lot of potential long term just that there's going to be a lot of short term pain and I think the thing that's most depressing about the piece I did was this, this they called this the year of closures mm. um, you know we didn't really have too many businesses closed last year it was a lot of cuts um, but this year they, they do expect they will see um, quite a few more businesses simply go under simply because, you know, they're unprofitable and they can't get the investment. And that's the and that's the thing. And you're going to see my my thing, my worry is obviously when you look at it, you know, when you've got a company, when you're a company that's sort of struggling for profitability, you end up focusing on the bits that work. Right. You end up cutting the bits that don't or sidelining the bits that don't work. And so companies will focus in on what they do. And that might involve cancelling that game or it might involve cutting that team. And that means if there are fewer games being developed, that's there's few opportunities for services companies, there's few opportunities for media. Um, there's also, um, uh, you know, the fact that the, the recruitment, we used to be a talent shortage. Now there's an abundance of talent out there looking for work and that has an impact upon the recruitment sector. So you've got all of these sort of, the whole, we, we, you know, nobody's in a nice, everyone's impacted by each other now. And it's, um, you know, there, there's, it's, it's, it's a bit tough. And there are fewer people that I spoke to, and I'm like, this will come out later, I think he was talking about how I don't think certain companies um, have cut deeply enough. And one person said to me that um, they think Elon Musk saw it coming, and that's why he sort of butchered seventy percent of twi uh, Twitter, and um, and and um, and basically forced everyone back in the office and said, like, no, we need to be, we need to batter down the hatches. It's going to get tough, and I think we're getting into that point now. So yeah, it's a bit of a bleak, bit bleak mm. story, a bleak piece. But I think it's worth noting. You know, just have power will do very well. There is investment happening. We just saw um, Leslie Benzie's company just got a huge uh, jump of money as well. So people are investing. There's a new studio I see today, James. Yes, uh, um, Fourth Star Games. Uh, they unveiled this morning. I did an interview with them, CEO and co-founder Paul Gouge. Um, they 
It's basically it. Look, Paul and Alex Rigby are the co-founders behind Playdemic, the Golf Clash developer. This is their fourth studio. Um, so they've, they've set up and sold like three studios before this. And yeah, they 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 seem confident. Like they've set up um, a new studio. It's interesting, actually. Like they, they were talking about um, the markets they're going to be targeting. And, you know, unsurprisingly they're going for mobile again because I believe most of their previous studios have focused primarily on mobile games. Playdemic obviously did Golf Clash and that was a huge mobile hit. They're not discounting other platforms but they're still focused on mobile and he was saying that um, as, as challenging as, as mobile has become and you know considering you know, Playdemic opened in 2010 so just after the App Store so they've seen all the changes to the mobile market. As challenging as mobile has become people aren't like people are still playing games on their phone. You're not seeing a, a, yeah. like a decline in engagement and stuff on yeah. uh, on mobile playing, and there are still success stories happening. Like they, you know, they, it's harder to become one. It's absolutely more difficult to become one of those standout successes, but they are still happening. Yeah. So yeah, that that's kind of the top line that you want to take away. Yeah. yeah, and the bar for investment is high, but people are still investing, mm. and it's the it's it's an industry that's in good shape. You know, it's safe. Gamers, you ask gamers if they feel there's a crisis going on in video games, they're going to look at you and go, what are you talking about? I'm playing loads of great stuff all the time mm. um, and I'm happy and I'm spending most of my disposable income on this thing. So it's like, let's be absolutely clear, you know, this is still a great industry. It's just that um, these negative headlines that we've been, that just seem to be getting worse and worse and worse, you know, it's not, it's not suddenly going to stop with a financial year. I think that's what I was trying to see if we might, you know, things might look better in the next financial mm. year, but by the sounds of it, We've got to wait for those interest rates to start dropping um, and uh, the release schedule. I don't, I'm not entirely convinced by the release schedule argument. Like I, I know that there's loads more games coming to market. It's clearly a problem, but it's always been a problem in video games. So I just, I'm not entirely convinced that's the biggest issue. I think it is things like interest rates and um, overexposure and all this kind of stuff. So, mm. but, um, but yeah, still a good industry. Still a very strong industry. <laughs> um, just, it might get a little depressing. Yeah. I'm kind of bracing myself for you. I, I think the, the person you spoke to that said a year of closures is absolutely spot on. Like we've seen a lot of kind of trimming um, last year. I think we will see business. We've already seen a couple of smaller studios close. Um, I'm kind of bracing myself. I'm still likening it in my head to kind of that 2008, 2009 sort of time when we lost things like Midway or THQ, mm -hmm. like that, you know, that, was, that sort of era. The industry was a little less, oddly, it still it doesn't seem very sustainable at the minute, but I'd argue because of live service and because of the fact that mm. legacy games are selling for longer now, possibly because different subject but pre-owned is not a thing anymore. You know, we you're seeing a lot of companies that are profitable at their core, if you, you know, cut away at some of, mm. them, some of the excess. Um, uh, you get a lot more of that, whereas back then, you know, if you're a big company and you had a two or three flops on the bounce, you know, it, it, yeah. it, 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 or even less, you know, one bad flop could could kill a business you've stopped get thq and you draw for instance and, and things like that it can cause a um yeah I, I think we're a little bit more you know game companies are a little bit less reliant on having to have a big hit every year but it's obviously um, mm. it's obviously tough i want to kind of latch on to that word um unprofitable like because i i i read that you know it, it's in the feature quite a few times like you know the word unprofitable there are many unprofitable games businesses out there um i kind of there's been a lot of conversation around like you know companies prioritizing profits over people particularly around these kind of layoffs seeing seeing companies that are some companies are making good profit and then still laying people off etc but i think in this context like i think there's a very kind of um anti-capitalist uh sentiment out there that like profit profit equals bad like you know if you're making too much profit you're doing a bad thing 
ultimately, like these profits are what's keeping these businesses alive, which is keeping the, the employees who haven't been laid off still there. I mean, I'm obviously not making excuses for companies and so forth, but like, as awful as it is that Unity has laid off close to 3,000 people since June, um, which is insane, like a ridiculous number of people, I believe they've still got like dozens, like, not dozens more, like, like thousands more than that are still there. So yeah. the, the focus on, on getting games businesses profitable is to safeguard the jobs that have been saved. And I think those efforts are important as well. Yeah, I mean, um, I think you're right. Um, I, I mean, you certainly could criticise Unity <laughs> and certainly could criticise these companies. Yes, oh yeah. <laughs> um, but but it, it, it's you're right. These companies are kind of reacting to the market they're in. Like A lot of people go, oh, they spent too much during the pandemic. But the truth is a lot of companies didn't have a choice. If your competitors are spending excessive amounts of money building up new teams and growing their, you know, if you're I don't know, a strategy game developer and your strategy game comp- and, uh, and somebody in another your competitor is really leveling up their strategy games. You kind of have to do the same thing, right? And it be, and we know everything's in relation to each other. If if everyone's offering four day working weeks and and cutting um and increasing wages and increasing benefits, you have to kind of cut. You, know, you can be that company that's I'm not going to increase wages. I'm not going to invest in my team. Then you're going to get left behind. It's a very difficult very difficult position to do that. Some companies could do that. I'm sure they did, but um uh. They kind of had to. You had to react to what's going on in the market then, and the, and so I do have an element of like you know the people that go people companies spent too much, and they so they probably felt they had to. You know, Sony had to buy a load of studios because Microsoft is buying a load of studios. You know, EA mm. had to offer a ridiculous sum of money for Codemasters because Take Two were trying to buy Codemasters. We were in this hyper competitive industry. You kind of have to, and if you want to be that a really hyper competitive company, and you're and you're going head to head with similar with similar businesses, then you have to kind of react to what they're doing. And if they're spending lots of money, you've got to spend lots of money. And it's and it's that's what yes. There's no doubt that's causing. I think the biggest issue is the starkness of it. Like only a couple mm. of years ago, it just seemed like the power was with the employees, and um, there was a, nobody could find enough talent, and it was like it was like so much money was invested, so many new studios were launching all the time, and then we went from that, and almost overnight. It's the opposite story. And I think for me, that's what's most like, I can't, I, well, how has it gone from that to this so quickly? I think that's mm. probably the biggest shock um, the industry's going through. It's going to be a very interesting year or two years. Um, and I know that hopefully a year, hopefully a year. Um, we're going to be discussing this on quite a regular basis, I suspect. So um, we'll kind of pause that discussion there for now. Um want to talk about the... Uh, subscriptions conversation that, that was started by our interview <laughs> your twitter feed this week i imagine has been delightful um yeah i i just you know you talk about the larian boss right commenting on the story he wasn't commenting on the story he commented on t- ign's tweet of a quote from the story that they wrote which is from the rest of the feature that we did like <laughs> it's and it, it's I, i'm really if you stop listening i'm sorry right because i appreciate the headline may have led people into that quote like my biggest frustration with it, and I'm frustrated by it, I directly think with Ubisoft, is all these people that think Ubisoft is saying, we want to get customers used to not owning their games. He did not say that. In fact, several times he said basically the opposite to that. He said that, you know, people come in for subscription and then they might buy the games afterwards. The important thing is to offer both. It's what he kept saying. It's important thing is to offer both. And um, this quote about, and it's not even a controversial quote. If subscriptions are going to grow, people have to get used to not owning their games. He clearly thinks that's going to happen because it's happened in DVD and CD uh, music. Um, But um, uh, yeah, but Ubisoft, nobody in this, I've not met anyone in this industry really who's involved in the sector who genuinely thinks subscriptions can become a dominant model in video games, right? Our current consumer spending model is free to play. 
that's how we get people spending on video games on a regular basis. We don't do we do subscription. Subscription's popular, but there is a ceiling on it. So I think MPD said ten percent of the industry is subscription. Mm. That's probably going to grow, but I don't think it's going to grow very much. And I don't think Microsoft thinks it's going to grow <laughs> much. You know, you know, and it's there's a there's um, there's a truth to it. I actually the thing for Ubisoft interview for me, which I loved the most, was that he talked about the fact that their biggest month was October. And the reason why the biggest month was October is because Assassin's Creed Mirage came out. And I've done, I think, 30 hours Assassin's Creed Mirage or something like that. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly less short. than the 100 that it takes yeah. to do Valhalla, which meant, Which meant, if you were, you know, I suspect most gamers could complete that in a month. And what they saw was, you know, they see an influx of people come in, subscribe for $18 and play a game for a month and then unsubscribe. Right? And you could do the same for Prince of Persia, 25 hour experience. That's what they're promoting. And they're OK with it. And I liked that, you know, one of the things about the second-hand market, which I'm sure we'll come on to, was the fact that, you know, I used to, if I used to buy a game that I wasn't too sure about, I'd play it, think it's okay, or play it and love it, but then, like, yeah, I don't really want to keep it. And I could trade it in two, three weeks later against the next one, and it allowed me to, basically, the cost of AAA games for me was significantly less than um, the mm. actual uh, RRP as a result of that. And um, and that's what, this this is a way of, you know, they said one in ten people as a result of this, who have um, they've seen on Ubisoft Plus are new customers to Ubisoft. Now I'm assuming the numbers aren't very big, really, but it's just that's that for me is a great thing. It's a great offering from Ubisoft Plus, and Ubisoft just receiving a hammering for a quote that was sort of taken out of taken out of the context of the question that was asked. And mm. I'm and I'm and I'm a little frustrated by it, and I dread to think how frustrated Ubisoft is. And I hope Philippe doesn't get put off doing media interviews in the future because I certainly didn't mean to see um, <laughs> uh, Facebook memes of just random that quote sort of from completely unrelated. Mm. Simpsons posts or something like that. I just it was oh, gosh, yeah. um, it was it was a bit. It wasn't what he said, and I actually think what Ubisoft Plus is is quite cool, and I think a lot of companies should look into perhaps doing mm. something similar, a way for you to be able to access these games uh, in a more affordable way. But it does involve not owning them. But you know, for some people, that's fine. Yeah, I I, I took the reaction in in two ways. On the one hand, like I. I liked seeing so many people kind of saying, well, I'm going to continue buying games. I'm going to continue owning my games. Like there are a lot of people basically defending the current model of you buy the games and you own them and subscriptions there for stuff you want to try. And I mean, we've been saying as a team for, for a good few years, like there are concerns of if subscriptions does become dominant, you go back to that kind of, um, that age of gatekeepers, like the subscriptions, essentially subscription services essentially become the gatekeepers. They decide what games go on, what type of games become popular, what type of games get the support. And we don't want to return to that, particularly given that we're at a stage where anyone can produce and release a game and it's got a half decent chance of success. Again, hello, pal world. Um, so it was kind of encouraging seeing like, right, no, as, as, as tempting as the offer of, convenience and access is you know to having this library of games versus just buying them uh, buying them outright individually like it was it was encouraging to see so many people kind of like no this is the stuff we wanted to we want to keep going and that kind of encouraged me like yeah i don't think i am with you i don't think subscriptions is going to become dominant it was the overreaction of right everyone start pirating ubisoft games like that's not even vaguely a reasonable my favorite and I, there, there was half a dozen of these in my feed of people going um, Ubisoft must be okay with me not owning their games then. And somebody said, I haven't bought a Ubisoft game in 10 years because they're rubbish. And I'm like, well, which, which, which one of that's true? Is it <laughs> not playing a Ubisoft game for 10 years? Or is it that they're rubbish? Because I don't know how you'd know if they're rubbish if you've not played one for 10 years. So the, exactly, um, yes. Um, <laughs> so, but, but I it start as, I've got Prince of Persia Lost Crown. It's great. Uh, it's not true. <laughs> um, the, um, the, um, but, um, 
yeah, I was, it was, so I'm, I agree, I'm a little bit worried about subscription, um, particularly on, you look on Xbox, so many of its users have Game Pass, and mm. I've had indie publishers say to me, you know, if you're not on Game Pass on Xbox, it's tough, right, it's difficult, yeah. and that's the situation where you end up having to try and get on Game Pass in order to have a success on Xbox, and that's, for some games and some companies, and that's, um, you know, that's, that's tough for, but obviously Xbox is a very small corner of a much, 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 much bigger industry. And so it's, um, and so as long as it doesn't become too dominant, as long as it just becomes one option to access games, then it has, then it's good. And as you rightly say, as everyone rightly says, you know, um, um, to, you know, you, you could have a situation where you, if you can't get onto Game Pass and you can't get onto PSN or you can't get onto Apple Arcade or whatever, um, that, that will never happen. But that, you know, if, if yeah. you can't get onto some of those services, um, then your game's going to struggle. That would be a bad future. But you, Microsoft have said it. Everyone says it. Nobody seems to think that subscription is going to... It's not... These get, games are not like music. They're not like film. They're too long. People, you know, the value of subscription isn't quite as obvious in games as it is in the other industries. You know, I watched 10 TV... I watched 10 TV shows so far this year. I've played one game. Right? So it's the... It's the... It's that, that... And so one of those makes sense in the subsurface and one of those does not. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Circling back to what you were saying about like you know, almost uh, subscriptions being this almost rental service and how, how pre-owned games used to enable that. And I'm, I'm now flashing back to, I used to, I think game used to have a rule of like, if you bring it back within 10 days, you get a full refund or full full trade-in or whatever it was. Um, so I would like buy something and if I didn't like it within 10 days, and I would play like, I wouldn't like complete it, but I'd play a fair amount of it. And it's like, no, that's not quite for me. I would go, in, I had this string of like trade-ins. That's obviously not going to be as much of an option now. Um, because game, as much as game doesn't, game isn't anywhere near as dominant as it was back when I was using it like that. But game dropping pre-owned feels like a moment. Um, there are it feels like a moment in are, history. Yeah, it feels like a moment in history rather than it actually having a material impact upon the games industry today. Yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah. Certainly. For me, it was um, they used to do this thing where you trade in for any four games. They used to do it every now and again. It was an offer: trade in any four games and get a brand new one for ninety nine p. And I used to have all these old, like, rubbish Xbox 360 games that just ended up, I ended up I know, picking up from the industry or whatever. And I would just go in with four old Xbox 360 games and get myself <laughs> a brand new one for 9 I did that loads. And it was a thing, like, that was the whole thing. Games Elite mm. Reward Card Offer was all about um, uh, doing that. And here's the thing, it was so prolific. I think pe people don't realise how prolific pre-owned was. Like, the supermarkets did pre-owned. Like, that yeah. was everybody did pre-owned games. It was, like, it was a normal thing. And um, and and get, publishers hated it because it meant it killed their legacy games business. And um, but you know gamers liked it because it enabled them. You know I think I remember towards the end of my time on MCV, which was a retail and publishing publication. So we talked about this a lot, didn't we? Um, but um, um, towards my end of my time on MCV, um, Martin Gibbs, who was the CEO of Game at the time, uh, revealed that over ninety percent of people who traded in games at Game did it against in-store credit. Did it for mm. in-store credit. So it really was creating this. You know, it enabled people to buy new things. So I always thought it was a cool thing. But look, since digital, um, pre-owned yeah. people, there's fewer games being traded in. Fewer games being traded in means there's fewer trade pre-owned games being sold, and it just sort of died off. But it's worth noting that CEX is actually the UK's biggest chain of video game stores, and that's an entirely second-hand video games outlet. So, and it's not it's not the end of pre-owned, but it does feel like a significant thing if you've been around the industry for 10, 15 yeah. years. Yeah, like particularly like you know. Following all, like you said, like all the previous arguments and discussions and, and conversations we had around pre-owned, like you know, certainly a decade or so ago, I had flashbacks like last week when we were talking about them, 
the fact that the game was dropping pre-owned. I had flashbacks to... Do you remember EA's Project $10? Yeah. Where you, you'd, like, buy... I think it was, like, Mass Effect, and there'd be a code for the DLC. Um, I know, wasn't it? Like you paid, like, an extra $10, and you'd get a code for the DLC, and then if it traded in, you wouldn't have that code. You wouldn't be able to... Yeah, there was, low, there was didn't yeah. work it didn't work no. um, but but yeah i do remember i and it, uh, i remember do you remember this this is a very insider baseball story so sorry listeners but um uh, many many years ago i went to an asda event asda's the uk supermarket and i and i spoke to who a guy who's the head of asda entertainment who ended up becoming head of playstation uk and um i um, spoke to him about and he said to me oh yeah we're looking into going to pre-owned so i put that on the front cover of mcv and it caused such a fight. Asda were furious. They called me up, screamed at me down the phone. It's not true. We're only just talking speculatively. And I thought, no, you weren't, were you? And then two months later, they launched a pre-owned range. But it was like, that's what it was. It was so tense. Like, people hated it. Some of the some of the vocabulary used around pre-owned was fierce. Mm. Um, it's not the case anymore. No. And it's, it's surprising, then, like, now, given how fierce the, the sentiment was against pre-owned, that there wasn't more of a reaction or a celebration for like from the industry itself so uh, brendan explores this in this week in business he actually looks back at past attitudes towards pre-owned and what it actually means that game um as much as it's not the biggest chain it was the most prominent chain in the uk and one of the more one of the more known game specialist games retailers in the world i'd argue yeah. um like the fact that it's dropped pre-owned like what this kind of means so that's that's absolutely worth a read i'm going to squeeze in one more thing because we're uh, starting to run out of micro time um, the Xbox Developer Direct, Chris, did you uh, did you catch all of this? I did. Uh, I think the games look great, really good. And that, you know, I was saying earlier at the beginning of the thing, there's a lot of there's not a lot of massive games coming out this year. There's a lot of stuff that looked really good, and mm. I thought I thought everything looked really good. Everything that Xbox showed looked really good. I mean, obviously, I'm, I know what you're excited for is Indiana Jones. I love machine games, not just their Wolfenstein stuff. All the Quake levels they've done as well, like, they mm. are a great game developer and. And I, I don't know if you remember this, James. There was an Indiana Jones game on the N64 that never came out in Europe. And I was really, I was, I remember. Remember it. I, I hate, I hated THQ for decades because I believe that it was their decision not to release it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the N64 died at that point. But I, I, so oh, I, yeah, yeah. That, I was, but I was, I was gutted that I didn't get that. So I'm really, this will be my first Indiana Jones game, I think. I'm, I'm very excited um, for that one. Nice. Yeah, no, it was a really, really good lineup. I kind of need. There's a couple of trailers I need to go back and watch again, or, or kind of ones that I, I missed and I want to go watch. Um, Ara History Untold. I kind of want to see the proper overview of that because a friend of mine got me into Civ Six last year, so I'm now yeah. really quite into turn-based city building. I'm rubbish at them, but I quite enjoy them. Um, Avowed looks quite interesting. I'm, I'm kind of. It's it's nice to see Obsidian thriving and actually getting to to make stuff that they want to make like they did really well with the outer wilds which was kind of um their outer wilds or outer, outer worlds, worlds. I know. outer worlds sorry outer worlds. outer worlds um name confusion um the outer worlds was really really kind of interesting like their take on a kind of a fallout style rpg i think it was really doing some interesting things i mean tr yeah the obvious connection you know the obvious comparison here is that like this is essentially obsidian's elder scrolls it looks like they're doing a fair amount to kind of differentiate it from that like it looks i quite enjoy a good fantasy rpg i quite enjoy first person rpgs in particular so this looks looks very interesting like the there was a lot of focus on the combat and um you know switching out different weapons etc but given how janky elder scrolls combat is famously like i was like actually yeah that looks like it's worth a shot and uh yeah indiana jones in the great circle i will contain myself because i need to va remain vaguely professional yeah. on this but it looks superb absolutely yeah. spot on what i'd want from an indiana jones game 
there's nothing Starfield level I saw there. Like, no, oh, that's a big one. But I saw lots of good stuff, and that's sometimes all you need. Yeah, particularly given that when they had a Starfield level title, i.e., Starfield, it didn't quite get received as well as they thought it was going to. So I think I think this is probably better. Like, rather than building up something as this is going to be the game that changes everything. Actually, just here's yeah. a great selection of titles that will appeal to a range of audiences. Yeah, yeah it's going to be. And maybe one of them, really maybe one of them will, maybe one of them will do a power world and break out. And I hope so. Hope so. Maybe, maybe we hope so. Um, going to wrap it up there because I think we've covered a lot of ground there. So I don't know about you, but. <laughs> little exhausted after a very intense 20 minutes um we're going to be back on monday with the next microcast uh as usual hopefully you can see this on youtube so please do check out the video version um if not you can find all episodes of the microcast and the main gi podcast on the podcasting platform of your choice and you can get more news insight and analysis at the world behind video games at games